0: Well, Paul, how are you been? What do you feel? What are you thinking? Tell me all about it, my friend.
1: Oh, thanks, Dr. Stitching Hamster. I've, I've just had a hell of a day. It's it's just been oh. an emotional roller coaster. I've just had so many different emotions throughout oh. the day. Yeah, like um, this morning I was trying to get a park at work, and um, and then I saw this fantastic park oh. just up ahead, and I thought, like, oh, wow, I've got to get this one. And so, yeah, there was, that was the park I wanted. Uh, and
0: so how did this great park make you feel?
1: Filled with green. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I was about to go to the park and this sausage dog, this really cute little sausage dog, was just on the side of the road. Um, and the lights stopped me and I was looking at this dog and it was just so cute!
0: And how does that make you feel?
1: Oh, it's just filled with compassion. Oh. But then the lights changed and the dog ran into the middle of the road and it was freaking out. It was just, oh, you know, I was really worried the dog was going to get hit by a car. Oh my god, how does that make you feel? Oh, I it's filled with fear. But um, a lady stopped and she picked up the dog and carried it away and, you know, it was all fine.
0: And so how did this make you feel? Filled with hope. Oh, yeah, definitely a rollercoaster indeed, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, but um, I got up to the parking spot and so just stopped near it and started reversing in. And this taxi did an illegal U-turn behind me and I smashed into the taxi.
0: Oh, how, how did that make you feel?
1: Oh, I was just so angry. I was filled with rage. Um, but then my wife rang and she said that she really loved me and, you know, that made me feel a lot
0: better. You were feeling what? You were feeling better? Well, I was, I was feeling love. I feel. and, and so what else happened then? It's a very busy day.
1: Well, then I was determined to come and have my session with you today.
0: That was it? Well, did you feel anything else?
1: Well I, well, I was feeling will at that point.
0: Paul, uh, that's not an emotion.
2: I'm not going into details. It's too horrible. So horrible that when Bernard Spilsbury examined the residual shambles in the bungalow, he said it was more gruesome than anything even he had ever seen. That, from a great pathologist with unique experience, constitutes a warning not to be ignored.
1: Hello and welcome to DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985 on all the way up. And today we've reached the year 2009, which is uh, the year that is characterized by a massive crossover, which is called Blackest Night. And this thing was uh, huge, Um, but I'm not talking about it alone. I'm joined by Laurel. Hi, Laurel.
2: Hey, Paul. How you doing?
1: Good, good. What's your background with this one?
2: Well, I was reading Green Lantern, and Green Lantern Corps was a fan of that, and so it was building practically from when Geoff Johns started the original Green Lantern Rebirth, uh, because the Black Hand character that comes up in Blackest Night is in the first issue that he does of that. So I think he wanted to go in this direction, so as a Green Lantern fan, you know, this thing came along, and it was just wonderful to see this whole thing and put all the pieces together, and yeah. Yeah, it was a fun time.
1: Yeah, and it's a huge event. So it's got, um, what? there's nine issues in the main mini, and then there's 14 issues of Green Lantern core tied into it. I mean, if there's a bit of lead up, uh, there's 14 issues of Green Lantern. Um, There's seven little mini series that are three issues each that tie into it. Um, And then it goes into about 20 issues of regular books. And they did eight one shots where they um, brought back series that have been cancelled from the dead <laughs> um, to do an extra issue. So you got things like Phantom Stranger and Starman and Suicide Squad and The Atom and Hawkman, which I don't think was ever a book, and The Power of Shazam, The Question, um, and then Weird Western Tales. And they all got an extra issue with continuing the same numbering. And there was also An Untold Tales of the Blackest Night right on the Tales of the... the whole event so yeah it was all mostly written by Jeff Johns he was doing the uh, central miniseries but um, lots of help from Pete Tomasi, Greg Rucker, James Robinson, uh, Scott Collins wrote some stuff uh, Tony Bedard, JT Kroll, a whole lot of people um, but the main miniseries has fantastic art by Ivan Reyes and Ocler Albert um, but there I mean there were lots of great artists are involved around this series in the minis and things like that like Patrick Gleason, uh, Julio Ferraria and Joe Prado yeah, but what's it about, <laughs> Laurel? Can you say what it's about really quickly?
2: Yes. Well, what I did is if you distill the main Blackest Night miniseries down to bare bones, this is what you're going to get. You need to know the Green Lantern Corps. Most people are familiar with this. They wield green rings of power and their bearers. It is powered by willpower. Okay. In the Green Lantern books just prior to this event, other colored Lantern cores have emerged with other emotions. So the Red Lanterns use rage, the yellow use fear, Blue are hope, etc., etc. Now, Black Lantern rings of death descend on Earth, raising dead heroes and villains, along with the dead friends and family of still-living heroes. Fights between the living and the dead break out all over the place. The Black Lanterns regenerate from injury, and worse, they have the dead person's memories and powers. They use this knowledge to emotionally wind up the heroes, then reap the energy by ripping out the hero's heart. The now-dead hero gets a ring, and another Black Lantern is formed. When enough emotional energy is harvested, Necron, who's basically a cosmic being of death, so Necron rises... He, in turn, raises all the dead of the destroyed coast city, and the heroes converge on him there. Green Lantern Hal Jordan transports in from space with the heads of the other colored lantern corps, and all kinds of crazy ensues, including, but not limited to, heroes that have been cheated death before become living Black Lanterns. Other Earth heroes get deputized into various colored lantern corps, Necron reveals the white entity of life that was hiding on Earth. The entire population of the dead planet of Xanchi shows up chasing Green Lantern John Stewart, and a virtual rainbow of all the lanterns in every Lantern Corps arrives in the skies of Coast City. Despite all this, it's not until the life entity briefly deputizes a white Lantern Corps led by Hal Jordan that Necron is defeated. And that is the basics of Blackest
1: Night. Well, excellent job there, and uh, really capturing uh, the whole event. So yeah, it's a roller coaster ride, and it's um, yeah, it starts hard and has lots of deaths at the start that are quite shocking, and um, yeah, it just builds from there. So um, yeah, what's your favourite things about it?
2: Well, I thought it was interesting. It sort of starts off as a buddy series almost with Flash and Hal. And then, of course, Hal goes off into the Green Lantern books and comes back later. So it was interesting to see. Jeff Johns really love those characters. And then he also brought Mara and the Atom into this and really gave them big roles. So I really appreciated that. Um, in my personal reading of this, I was reading the Green Lantern Corps along with it. And Kyle Rayner is my favorite Green Lantern. Of course, he dies at the end of one of these issues. And I thought, oh, my gosh, could this be the death that, you know, one of these things always has a big death in it? And no, he got better. But silly me was very worried for a month. (laughs) Uh, But that was, you know, the the big impacts of this thing. Um, The art, the, the joking around. We have the greedy Lex Luthor running around trying to steal the orange lantern. I mean, there's just so much packed into this thing. Despite the brief summary I was able to put together.
1: Yeah, I mean the heroes really do have a sense of danger in this because uh, I mean it opens with uh, Hawkman and Hawk uh, Woman getting killed straight away, um, and that's a real shocker. And and it's done at the hands of Elongated Man and Sue Didney, so you know beloved characters coming back to kill people—that's not very nice. Um, and there's heaps of things like. Oh,
2: and it's icky because they they rip out the hearts. It's so icky.
1: Yeah, yeah, gross. Yeah, I think. I mean, I really enjoyed just the weird little corners of this uh, series, like um, the question bonus issue. Um, in that one, it has uh, Renee Montoya question being confronted by uh, the Vic Sage question, who's dead and uh, Lady Shiva's in the mix as well and they discover that the the Black Lantern can't see you when you strip yourself of all emotion and so they all all just vanish in the middle of the fight because they stop feeling emotions and projecting their emotions which is, you know, I love that bit and that one was um, Greg Rucker Uh, but yeah, there's lots of nice little corners of this series and, you know, everyone gets a moment somewhere if you look hard enough so what came out of this one well, there's a Maxi series straight after this ...called Brightest Day, which deals with uh, the characters who get resurrected at the end. Um, So there's a whole bunch of people who come back from the dead uh, to generate more stories, perhaps. Um, But, I mean, long-term, there isn't that much that comes out of this that lasted and stuck around... ...probably because sooner or later Flashpoint comes along and that sort of wipes the slate on the DC Universe ready for the New 52... And then the Green Lantern continuity sort of continues and builds and builds and builds because Jeff Johns wasn't done with his story, and they let that go through the New 52. But, yeah, do you you feel anything really came out of this that lasted and uh, resonated for a long time?
2: Well, no, not really. I'm like you um, on the Impact and Legacy. I was sort of measuring this. It does go into Brightest Day, so you have some of the characters that come back to life in this because... You know, it's an event book, so people come back to life. Um, Some of the heroes that came back have a a role in that Brightest Day mini, a few other characters. But on the whole, yeah, it it sort of dropped off, I think, because they were preparing for the, the Flashpoint New 52 stuff.
1: Yeah. But one point you made, which is really good, is that Mera became a major player after that. And, you know, we see that role continued in the Aquaman movie of last year. So, you know, that's really something.
2: Yeah, I don't think that they would have gotten the Aquaman uh, series in the New 52 if this hadn't worked, of yeah. having her in this. And because she's even in the Wonder Woman mini, too. That's where we find out more about – she ends up as a Rage Lantern, of all things. <laughs> and you find out why that is over in the Wonder Woman mini series. But, uh, yeah, the miniseries actually were pretty good. So I have to, I have to pipe that in there, too, because I, I busted my budget and got the miniseries. I don't know about you. I was collecting the rings. I was having a big time when I got this.
1: Oh well, I only had to buy what nine hardcovers to enjoy this story, <laughs> <laughs> so I did get everything. But uh, I think there was a couple I had to buy digitally because they didn't come out in the hardcovers. But uh, it was a pretty stressful time. I remember, you know, the budgeting for this one and going, "Well, oh, this is oh no, these three are coming out in that month, and that's coming out." And then when you buy it all in hardcovers, you get all the Green Lantern stories together. You get all the Green Lantern core stories together in one book. So. Um, I basically I made this really complicated map of how to read the story in order as if it had just come out uh, across yeah. all these hardcovers, which was a nightmare. So <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I I have them in the individual issues, but I have them sort of stacked, like you said, are in what I approximate as reading order because <laughs> they all mix in together.
1: Yeah, and I think there's an online blog somewhere by. Uh, Collected Editions site, which has my list of the reading order for Blackest Night, with uh, lots of people chiming in with, oh, I'd I'd move that there slightly, (laughs) etc. But uh, yeah, this time I did not read it that way. I basically read the main chunk and then read some of the side stuff. And yeah, um, it's a good time, though. It's it's actually, I I was going to come into this thinking it would be a chore, and it wasn't. It it moves like the clappers. It's really, really just full of action and escalates really, really well. Uh, building to the issue where, oh yeah, where all the uh, heroes and villains become different lanterns as well. So you've got um, uh, Lex Luthor becomes the orange lantern deputy, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, and Scarecrow becomes a fear lantern, a yellow lantern. So things like that—that's really cool and fun. So
2: yes, I I, de- I definitely enjoyed it, and the outfits—I have to mention that as well. These black lantern outfits—they put them in. Where some of them are really schnazzy. <laughs> I have to say, they've got this like silvering and black. Yeah. And they had to put the logo on it somehow. So the creativity there of creating all these outfits was really neat.
1: Yeah, and they like some of the designs so much that they stuck around, so the the Firestorm Evil version uh, continues on as a new character called Deathstorm. So, mm. Actually, we'll play a quick promo, and then we'll get into the scoring, eh, hey, Laurel?
2: All right, sounds good. To confront the ultimate killers, I must construct the ultimate alias.
1: Hey, who is that lady? I
3: think
2: she could fly. To combat the murderers who destroy my family, crush my own life on their way to consuming everything, I must become a greater, more fearsome destroyer.
3: Ah! Ah,
2: To track down the animals who prey on the innocent, I must stalk them first. I am no longer their quarry. I am
1: the Huntress.
3: New Huntress Podcast, coming to you in 2019. Visit thehuntress89.blogspot.com for new episodes. Go to the Facebook page at Huntress Podcast. Go to Twitter, The Huntress Podcast. And you can always find episodes of The Huntress Podcast at rightonnetwork.com and go to Apple iTunes where this podcast is a joint venture with the Helena Bertinelli Podcast and the Cassandra Kane Batgirl Podcast. So go to Apple Podcast, the Batgirl slash Huntress Podcast.
1: So, the way the scoring works is, uh, Laurel and I, there's four categories. We will give this uh, event scores out of 10 in four categories, which will give a total maximum amount of score that could be 80. Um, And we also have a semi-OCD, or semi-OCD, depending on which part of the world you live in. And that is Mike Garvey this week. So, my mate Mike from Waiting for Doom. And he will be giving his score, and then we're going to halve it, or he might halve it for us, depending on how he feels. Um, And that will give us a total score of... Well, we don't know what, but it'll be out of 100 either way. So, Laurel, what do you think of the eventiness of this one?
2: Well, it's got a ton of miniseries. There's tie-ins. There's ongoing events, like ongoing books that had specials. There were special books made for this, like you said, of the dead um, books coming back. But really, this essentially is a Green Lantern story. In the end, it comes out of the Green Lantern books. It is a Green Lantern story, so I did take down a point for that, despite how widespread the event was. So it's a nine for me.
1: Um, I gave it a ten just because um, the scale of this, on you know. Particularly if you were collecting it at the time, you knew the scale of this because it was everywhere, and everyone got a mini series, and you know even books that weren't around anymore got involved in it. Um, you know, and Jeff Johns did a fantastic job on building on previous continuity. Like he'd been making a list of everyone who died, and you see some really weird you know comebacks. Um, you know, there's all the dead heroes are buried under the um, JLA headquarters because of. Um, Actually, this comes to, interesting, there's a a Nightwing story by Peter Tomasi that leads into this where um, someone was digging up dead uh, villains and using their DNA to create things. Um, so the the heroes basically collected all the dead villains and put them in one spot where someone like that couldn't get at them, and that's how they all ended up under the JLA headquarters. I'd forgotten that till I was reading it, but yeah, I mean he's he knows everyone who's dead and basically puts in all the characters who will be emotionally affected by those deaths, and builds from there. And you know it's it's just very very uh, DC universe centric and you know has tie-ins to 52 and all sorts of things going way way back and you know it felt really good and even the anti-monitors corpse is uh you know part of this so uh going back to infinite crisis and crisis on infinite Earth originally so it's pretty huge so i have to give it a 10 for that um, now, on the writing. Now, what I said before about all the continuity being, uh, you know, brought in. I also think that's a little bit of a detriment to the story because um, coming into this after not reading the Green Lantern stories all before it, for uh, you know, giving them a reread, it was really like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And you know, because there's a lot of continuity that's brought to the story from the Green Lantern books that you, if you don't know about it before you get there, it's um, it's a bit of a clunk. So I didn't feel like it stood alone, you know, perfectly like some events do, where you can just read the main series and you know all the continuities in that you need to know is in the book itself. Because, yeah, the the strength of all this build up is also a weakness in the in the art, and uh, I mean, not in the art, in the story. And I felt that, yeah, there's a little bit of a mean streak in the writing as well. I mean, Jeff Johns is famous for ripping off heads and arms and things like that, and some of that felt like it carried on like i particularly thought uh, firestorm's girlfriend uh, gets really really hard done by in this so for that i'll have to give it an 8
2: yeah nothing like becoming a pillar of salt oh, that that was it was awful yeah i was going to mention that because this is a real horror story it starts off as that it's not you know it tries to be superhero at first but it really takes a turn into the horror. I mean, there's just lots of icky things going on. (laughs) Um, So he took that and then kept building on it, which like you said, it builds up to quite a crescendo in the end. And as far as the writing I've got, you know, the character voices are good. He seems to have a good grasp on the different people. And he really did try to make this book accessible if you're just reading the main mini like you were saying but um i've heard other people that don't know the background of the dc characters and their relationships very well and they weren't reading green lantern and they really struggled with it so despite to me being this just so wonderful i knocked it down a little bit and i gave it an eight
1: okay we're in agreement now where are you on the art and the covers
2: oh oh art and covers is 10 That is where this whole thing goes. I mean, some of these covers, you could just make posters out of them, except for, you know, the skulls and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. But the artwork is just gorgeous. And the coloring, oh, my goodness gracious, to keep all these different colored lantern cores straight and the superhero colors and then the superheroes change colors. And I thought, oh, my goodness, Alex Sinclair, I think, is the colorist on this. That was a lot of work. And all the miniseries, that was a lot of work to keep everything straight. Um, There's some really big crowd shots that get done real well. Four-page spread. I mean, Ivan Rice was just on fire.
1: (laughs) Uh, We should shout out to the letterer, too, because there's lots of different uh, lettering effects for the different uh, Mm -hmm. types of lanterns as well. Mm -hmm. Ten, well, I I can't disagree with you. The art is spectacular and breathtaking. The storytelling is, you know, wonderful. The character designs are amazing. Uh, They made action figures out of all these afterwards because it was, um, you know, such a big event. And, yeah, I mean, there's so many pages in this book that are just uh, stunning. You know, it sort of reminds me of the impact of uh, when The Authority first came out and everyone was like, oh, widescreen storytelling. And this book is just takes that to the next level. I mean, there are, you know, scenes of hundreds of characters incoming, you know, multiple times, and it all looks great and never looks rushed. And I don't remember it being delayed much. I think it, you know, pretty much came out... You know, fairly regularly, uh, which is quite amazing with this degree of, you know, art, uh, artistry. It's just, oh, it's awesome. Uh, What do you think about the impact and legacy? I think you've given a hint.
2: (laughs) Well, yes. Uh, Like I said, for a time, you had results of this in Brightest Day there was some, what was the other one about the Justice League Lost, I think it was? What was that one? Generation Lost.
1: Generation Lost.
2: Yeah, that was the other maxi-series. I, I don't know if that exactly came out of this.
1: It sort of um, did, yeah. Brightest, it deals with Maxwell Lord.
2: They put some Brightest Day stuff, like in Green Arrow, and it, so it came up here and there, but it wasn't really followed up in any big way, and again, I think it's because they knew already I mean, New 52 blows this all away. It just blows this up. It makes it useless. And I know that the Green Lantern books keep going. So, yeah, technically, you could say that adds, you know, legacy to this. So I gave it a five.
1: Right. I'm going to, I'm with you. I mean, I I think the immediacy afterwards, there's a lot of, um, you know, the brightest day thing directly comes out of this. And there is a lot of it. And, um, you know, I really like the Generation Lost series. And, some of the follow-up around different titles which i'm forgetting but i'll remember as soon as i start researching brightest day for the next one but i actually think as a story this is i don't think you know dc's done with this story like i think there's a lot of potential of this to me this reads like dc's equivalent of the infinity war um and i think that's going to happen sooner or later in one form or another in tv or movies i think there's You know, this will live on, this story, and I think... Yeah, for that reason, I'll give it uh, seven, because I think there's a lot of potential there, and because this story is so beloved and so epic, I think it's going to be tapped sooner or later in some way.
2: Yeah, I I thought I heard a rumour they were going to make one of those direct-to-videos cartoons of it, but that could be something I just heard randomly.
1: Well, it sounds likely, I mean...
2: Wouldn't that be interesting?
1: Yeah. Well, Jeff Johns, you know, he does tend to push his uh, things that he you know, re-envisaged and re-imagined into um, different media. Um, So, I mean, look at Aquaman.
2: Oh, and billion dollar, you know, movie later.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's, uh, we've got all our scores.
1: Let's go listen to what Mike had to say about it.
0: G'day Paul, hello Laurel, and hello listeners. It's Mike here with my semi-OCD contribution for Blackest Night, uh, which represents a personal high point for me in my comic book fandom history, as it's probably the first big DC event I really got into properly, as back in this era I was heavily invested in Green Lantern's adventures and was only really starting to appreciate and read more of the DCU at the time. So of course I had been reading hints leading into this event in GL's books, and then when it hit the shelves, I absolutely devoured it, buying the main eight-issue miniseries. I did have the zero issue somewhere, but in the last decade I've misplaced that. Uh, eventually I also picked up the hardcover collections for the Green Lantern books, the, the Green Lantern Core books, and both volumes of the Black Lantern Core books They collected some of the tie-in books and miniseries that were running at the time as well. And unsurprisingly, I have a complete set of the lantern rings that were released as a promotional tie-in, and I even have a uh, promotional postcard for the event as well, so yes, I was and am still a big fan of this event. So, uh, onto my scores, which will be based just on the main mini-series of this event, and kicking off with eventiness, I'm giving it a 10. This is a gigantic event that literally touched every corner of the DCU, from the surprisingly interesting trio of Atom, Flash and Mirror leading the charge on Earth, to Hal and his fellow lanterns in space rounding up the cavalry. It's huge, and the stakes are definitely high. For writing, I'm going to give it an 8. Overall, this is a well-written, tense zombie and horror story set in the DCU, while also expanding upon the lanterns of the emotional spectrum and setting up their future stories. I deducted a couple of points because there's a small sense of not knowing exactly who every single character is and this event is also the culmination of the War of Light saga that have been going on in the Green Lantern books for some time so if you've not been following that you might be a little lost but these are minor compared to all the good that does happen in the story. The main series itself contained enough story information for me to understand the plot uh, this reread through without needing to buy every single tie-in issue or or have them on hand. Uh, There are some nice moments of characterization between all the epic fights as the lead characters are dealing with the loss of loved ones before and during the attacks and there are some callbacks to previous crises which I enjoyed (laughs) to the point where I'd actually forgotten who or what was powering Necron's main batteries so that was still a nice surprise when I came across that during this reread. Uh, For art and covers uh, I'm going to give it a 10 Ivan Race, Oclair Albert, Joe Prado, Alex Sinclair and Nick Napolitano do a consistently fantastic job throughout the series despite lots of chaotic action as the story progresses it's still super detailed and it features some amazing splash pages throughout Uh, special shout out to Alex Sinclair for all the colour effects needed for all the different uh, lantern cores sometimes in the one panel It's, it's all great stuff for impact and legacy, I'm going to give it an 8. This story had a massive impact during its initial release as Geoff Johns had brought horror on a grand scale to the DCU and we saw deceased characters resurrected to wreak havoc on our favourite heroes. Its legacy is felt in the next big event, Brightest Day, but after that, the effects to me felt fairly relegated to the lantern books and nowhere else. Still, it was a massive tale that was its own unique beast that actually paid attention to what had happened before and set up an interesting stage for the future. Ten years later, it still looked back upon favorably as a great story that is still a worthwhile read. Hey, this year's JLMA was all about Blackest Night, so it's still definitely got its fans. So, yeah, it's it was great fun rereading this. I think my favorite issue uh, was issue six, where <laughs> the, the leaders of the different Lantern Corps got to deputize... <laughs> different characters to help them in the battle against the 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 black lanterns and that was really cool it was so cool those guys even got their own action figures i mean that's huge anyway those are my scores inventiveness 10 writing 8 art and covers 10 impact and legacy 8 so that's a total score of 36 which becomes 18 for this semi-ocd contribution thanks guys and um enjoy the rest of the show
1: Whoa, okay, so Mike really liked it too. So let's look at all our scores. Let's add them up using the power of maths. And uh, you gave it a 32, and I gave it a 35, and Mike gave it a 36, which we have to 18. If we add all those together, we get a whopping 85. Wow. Well, that's huge. So that
2: sounds good. Yeah. Where does that fit it?
1: Well, on WaitingForDoom.com, if we go to the ladder or the table, depending on what you're familiar with calling it, that will be uh, fourth on the list. So, wow. Yeah, it's just above Kingdom Come and just below Crisis on Infinite Earths and 52. So, wow. Okay, that's a whopping score. So right at the top there. Um, yeah, I, I feel that's the right sort of score for this one. Uh, it's It's... You know, if you want to read the really big DC events, you're going to have to read this one That's well.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I, I like this event. I liked all the minis that go with it because you get to look at some characters. Some of them are uh, three-issue stories. Some of them, it's, you know, they fit in between the, the issues. So it makes it a lot of fun to put the pieces together. So I don't see, you know, that is part of the joy of comic books to me is putting the pieces together.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is unique to comics that you can do this. You can't do this with TV shows or movies and, you know, assemble them and enjoy them the way they, you know, because it is such a, it's such a strange entity, isn't it, the way everything comes together?
2: Yeah, as long as you give me the guideposts, you know. I mean, some, some books we've read, and I, if I have to do actual research, we have a problem. <laughs> if I'm reading a bunch of books and I can still follow your event. We're good. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, we might look at the feedback we've gotten in the last... Well, we, we did Final Crisis last. So, yeah, And <laughs> you were saying before we started recording that, uh, you know, it, it was scored higher than you were comfortable with. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's when
2: I thought about, yeah, talk about putting pieces together. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. That's research. This is putting pieces together. There's two different things to me.
1: <laughs> well, Frack did a wonderful job, I think, on the summarizing it but
2: yes i actually understood what was going on
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway on the website we got some comments from Moby one he said hi dcocd i was keen to hear this episode for me like many the struggle was real in coming to terms with what was going on at times so the three different perspectives on this were most welcome it can't have been easy gathering your individual thoughts on a tale that seems sometimes impenetrable the bit of the conversation that really pricked my ears up was the conversation about barry and wally I'm a Barry fan. He was my Flash, even though I came to love the Wally era afterwards. But even I cannot deny that DC has had difficulties with having both around at, at once ever since Barry's return. Barry is at core a positive character, so as a fan of all Flash incarnations, it's been hard over time to see so much mess and tragedy with these characters in amongst these relatively few wonderful moments that capture the core positivity. The Jeff Johns Initial Rebirth book being a more recent example i've been quiet lately on social media re-waiting for doom and dc ocd lots of other things going on but remain a loyal fan and always enjoy and applaud your collective work so thank you thanks moby that's awesome so yeah you are an old school flash fan um yeah so i i enjoy talking flash with uh, moby he's um one of my friends near where i work um Uh, We also got a a message from Martin Gray on the website, and he said, What a fascinating episode, and how great to hear Frax on it. He's such a nice, well-spoken boy. I've never heard such a meaty recap. Well done, Frax. And it's telling that he said he'd still left stuff out. Never was a seven-issue more stuff to the core with, well, stuff and nonsense. It's telling that Morrison, or someone at DC with clout, felt he had to add pages to the hardcover collection to make it make sense. As I said on Twitter, all I remember about this event was Darkseid went African apocalyptic and Superman did something of note in 3D. Hearing the recap, I vaguely recall a few other bits and bobs, but not the overall shape of the story. That's because it doesn't have one. It's a bloated piece of pomp prose. Wow. (laughs) I don't doubt that The Final Crisis rewards multiple readings, as Frack said, but if a story is incomprehensible when first experienced, then it's a failure and not something I want to go back to. It's not a binary choice between a comic that takes us two minutes to read and one we have to spend years thinking about. A writer as skilled as Morrison could have found a middle ground that's entertaining and intelligible enough for the masses, but self-consciously smart enough for his aficionados. On the eventiness front, this is a Morrison story in which such big things happen that they can never be mentioned again because acknowledging them would change people's sense of self so much. For example, the entire world getting superpowers in JLA. And here, everyone is being shrunk to microdots or whatever. I agree with Paul that Barry Allen coming back is not good for the DC Universe due to its effect on Wally and the others, but I wouldn't mark Legacy down because of that. Surely this is an argument that the story points have a big legacy, just not one we'd like. I'm amazed that overall this ties with Final Night. I found that so much more entertaining. What is this subjectivity? I keep meaning to ask: is ladder Australian for chart or a more nuanced technical thingy? Yes, um, the ladder. That's that's just a common sporting term in Australia. So whenever games are over, you see you know where the teams are set on the ladders and things like that. And it's I don't, I don't even like sport, and that's I've just absorbed it because of things. So yeah, mostly Australian football and AFL and stuff like that. And we also got a comment from Tim Price, and he said, While I may not agree with Frack, his points and arguments were excellent. This show was an excellent listen. It's been a while since I last reread Final Crisis, and I'm not sure if I'm ready to tackle it yet. But I hadn't read Superman Beyond, so that is immediately on my to read list. Thank you, Ange, for stressing that that story. You! Well, it's all over now. The Final Crisis is done, so that's it for events. Didn't I hear this discussion somewhere before? That's right, at the beginning of the episode. Oh boy. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, and Tim has been reading uh, Superman Beyond. I've seen him posting that on Twitter. Uh, okay, so that's all the comments. If you'd like to make a comment about the show, head for waitingfordoom.com, or you know, there's Twitter as well. Uh, you can get in touch at DCOCDCast, which is our Twitter account. Uh, send us an email at DCOCDCast at gmail.com, and of course, waitingfordoom.com. Fantastic website, and we'll have a post up for the show with pictures and things. And um, I think we're coming back next week with a Waiting for Doom, and we're looking at uh, more Keith Giffen, Volume 5. That'll be me and Mike. And then I think the next event we have to do is New Krypton. So, so thanks for joining me, Laurel. So where can people hear you if they want to hear more of your podcasting?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mountainflower1. That's without the vowels, Mount Flower one if you ever want to stop by and say hello Uh, we also i do the huntress helena bertinelli podcast and the birds of prey feathers and foes podcast and those are on the right on network that's w-r-i-g-h-t right on network and uh, ashford is our fearless leader and the head of that network
1: (laughs) and they're excellent listens i I recommend that you head over and check them out and uh yeah covering uh you've just about to finish the original huntress series the uh
2: yeah, yeah, we're trying to sort out exactly where she appears next because there's not exactly an official list somewhere that you can just go find it. So we're sort of crowdsourcing and asking questions and flipping through books <laughs> online like, is she on the cover? Do you see her anywhere? <laughs> and then we'll eventually get into more of her series when she pops back up with uh, – the. I think it's with Robin.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the uh, Cry for the Blood miniseries. I really like that one.
2: We will get there <laughs> eventually. <laughs>
1: awesome well that's everything for this episode thanks everybody and we'll see you all next time
2: thanks for having me the dead eyes opened the dead
1: eyes opened
2: the dead eyes opened <laughs>
3: John Jones of Mars. Kamatoui. Ten years ago, a crashing wave of light erupted across the DC universe. A multicolored spectrum of energy bathed the cosmos in a war of light. Rage clashed against passion. Hope sought to stifle fear. Greed to choke out compassion. And in the middle of it all, the will to keep going and fight for all. Now this war has come to the surface of our planet. Because while the light fights, the darkness rises. Hero, villain, friend, foe, family. Across the universe, the dead have risen, and it's going to take every available podcaster to fight back. In 2016, we covered the dawn of the Justice League with Justice League Year One. In 2017, we soaked in the seminal justice. Last year, we threw it back to the Silver Age. But this year's JLMA Podcast event covers an event that knows not the boundaries of death itself. J.L. May covers Blackest Night in celebration of the event's 10-year anniversary. Our coverage begins on April 30th with the podcast of OA and proceeds through the entire month of May with Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, The Idol of Diablo, The Fire and Water Podcast, Head Speaks, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Task Force X, the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, the Dr. DC Podcast, the Birds of Prey Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, and ends with the Lantern Cast. So join us this May, because across the DC Universe, the dead have risen. Where will you be?